Welcome to Wormhole Waffles, a Stargate podcast. Welcome to Wormhole Waffles. I'm your host, Chelsea, and with me is my co-host, Urzu. Hello. Last week, we talked about Stargate SG-1 Season 3, Episodes 18 and 19, with lots of local politics. And today, we'll be talking about Episodes 20 and 21, Maternal Instinct and Crystal Skull. Maternal Instinct premiered on February 25th, 2000, and was written by Robert C. Cooper and directed by Peter F. West. Crystal Skull premiered on March 3rd, 2000, and was written by Michael Greenberg, Jared Paul, and Brad Wright, and directed by Brad Turner. Crystal Skull is one of my favorites for this season. Arzu, would you please summarize these two episodes? Yes. So, Maternal Instinct... Okay, first of all, these are two very Daniel-centric episodes. Um, yes. So I didn't love that. But uh, <laughs> Maternal Instinct. Braytac is back. Woo! And he's got a lead on Sheree's kid because people literally have to come from other planets to tell Daniel to do his job. Um, <laughs> so they go to another planet that's not Chulak in search of this baby. And then Crystal Skull was an eye-opener for me because I thought Crystal Skull was unique to Indiana Jones, and I guess it's not. No? So, yeah, they get a reading from another planet that shows a Crystal Skull, and Daniel's like, life's like the one my great-grandfather found all those years ago. And I'm like, wow, a man in his 30s whose great-grandfather is still alive. That's very impressive. But um, No, I think it's, it's just his grandfather, and he was talking about how he's my not-so-great grandfather. Oh, I, like... I heard the great bit and I'm like, that's extremely impressive. And also your family all had kids very young. Um, <laughs> but yes, like the one his grandfather found. So they go, we, Daniel goes missing. He gets sucked into this crystal skull and then we meet his grandfather. Yeah. So they get to meet Daniel's grandfather. Who's, I think he's cute. I think he's a cute old man. <laughs> he's a cutie. He's a cute old guy. And uh, hijinks ensue. Yeah. Okay, so let's do our quote reveal. Last week I gave you the quote, apparently his failure to prove the crystal skull was more than just a curiosity caused a severe mental breakdown from which he's never been able to fully recover. And your guess though is that Janet is speaking about someone they brought to the SGC from another planet who's having a problem. And you're wrong about the context, but you're right that it was Janet. And I, yeah, I guess it was too obvious that that was like a doctor comment. <laughs> I... The only part of this that was wrong is that the person's from another planet because they did bring somebody to the SGC who was having a problem with this crystal skull. So it's just just from another planet. Yes, a partial context. (laughs) So I was basically 100% correct. (laughs) Maybe I'll give you a half a point for the context. Okay, so one and a half altogether. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to find janet speaking about something non-medical i feel like as the seasons go on we get a little bit more out of her like we get some time with like her and sam talking more on a personal level but i was like trying to find a good like janet line but (laughs) that wasn't medical it's hard (laughs) okay so first episode maternal instinct so yes braytac comes and he gives he delivers some interesting information that you know we learned that Apophis was still alive when he was on literal hell controlled by Sokar. And he managed you remember and he managed to yeah. kill Sokar. And they had blown up 
Sokar's mothership. So Sokar died, but Apophis managed to use the teleportation rings to go to the main planet. And so right. now he has taken over all of Sokar's stuff. Uh, all of Sokar's, what would you call that? Forces? Yeah. See, I thought I had made this bit up because I kind of forgot about the episode. So I was like, they're like, Apophis is alive. I'm like, we knew that. Yes. Right? But then yeah. I like forgot that they thought he was dead. Because <laughs> they, well, they aren't watching the show. Like, yeah, well, it's like they keep assuming that he's dead when like, you know, they he did literally die in front of them, but they sent his body back to Sokar, who they knew might bring him back, and he did bring him back. And now this time it was like, well, they blew up the mothership that he was on. But it's like, guys, unless you see a body. They need to watch <laughs> more TV because the rule is unless you see the body, they're not dead. Yeah. Case in point, bring back Ben Solo. Thank you. <laughs> there was no body. Literally. Well, the body disappeared. Therefore, there is no body. <laughs> okay. 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 Sure. Off topic, but it was just too good an opportunity. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> um, yeah, and especially like Apophis, he is surprisingly clever. He wants to live very badly, and he will find ways to live. <laughs> you know? So, unless you see a body, and you put it in the ground yourself, he's gonna keep coming back. It's like a cockroach. He really is. I feel like after everything they have been through with Apophis, underestimating him is maybe the worst possible idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, anyway, the news about Apophis is that he de decided to destroy Chulak because he knows that there are probably some people there who don't want to follow him anymore. And rather than try to weed out who's loyal and who's not, he's just going to kill all of them. But you know, it's surprisingly so. efficient. Yeah. You know. Can't I can't say I fault him for that. Yeah. It makes me wonder how many people got out, though. I mean, obviously Braytac did, but I mean, there were supposedly tens of thousands of people on Chulak, so I don't know. This uh, apprentice of Braytac's, have we seen him before? No, he's just a random dude. Okay. He's just like a, a character that is introduced so that he can die <laughs> for like okay. plot development. Because I don't know if any of our listeners have seen Battlestar Galactica, but when he popped up, I was like, oh my God, it's Chief. I forgot the character's name. They just call him Chief because he's like the chief of engineering or something. Oh. But this is how you know they shot in a forest in Vancouver because Battlestar Galactica was also shot in a forest in Vancouver. <laughs> They've got this Canadian actor whose name... I'm going to look up now. Okay. 2004. Oh, my God. Galen Tyrell, a.k.a. Chief, played by Aaron Douglas. And I was like, oh, my God, a baby. <laughs> but, yeah, he was, like, the chief of engineering in Battlestar. Okay. And I was like, oh, he's a big deal. I guess we've seen his character before, and I just didn't notice. But I, I guess not. Oh, no. When? What year was he in Battlestar Galactica? Because maybe... 2004 it was right after this oh okay i mean not right after but like just had a random guest spot before doing a big show it's his first tv show 
first one? job it looks like this was his first job oh yeah oh he comes back later as a random jaffa that's not confusing <laughs> there's lots of people like that who come back as random characters in the background i mean as I know, as like as as somebody filling the same sort of function yeah <laughs> that's what makes it confusing that's true anyway yeah, yeah. Aaron anyway. Douglas, nice to see you <laughs> and but i i thought it was funny how Braytac was like telling him that he's the bravest Jaffa he's ever trained and I'm like Tilk is right there <laughs> I feel like Tilk understands yeah I mean he was dying Braytac's so. going through it a little bit yeah well and the poor kid is dying like he needs to be comforted <laughs> yeah like Til Tilk's not going to take it personal and I did think it's very like dramatic of the Jaffa to have a custom to spread your ashes over the grave of your enemy like, that's okay. very funny, actually. <laughs> yeah. that's, a, that's an interesting custom. All right. It's like it's like getting the last word in. Yeah. Plus, it's got the added significance of if you're spreading your ashes over the grave of your enemy, that means you outlived them. Yeah. Exactly. So. Yeah, so apparently Apophis like, was hoping that he would find the Harcesis on Tulak. And I'm like, that would be dumb. Like, Aminette was not dumb. She wasn't going to put the Harcesis right where Apophis would find it. Apophis is motivated. Apophis is not very smart. Yeah. So anyway, they between using two different old Jaffa stories, they're able to figure out where Keb is because like Daniel knows that Osiris went there once and Braytac knows that Osiris went to one of the, these specific planets in a small group. <laughs> and so they're able to extrapolate which planet is that is the legendary Keb, which is a place that some Jaffa have gone to in the past when they become too old to carry a symbiote. And they're able to pass on to the next phase of life. So SG-1 goes to this planet and they discover, they walk through the woods of Vancouver and yes, they do, <laughs> as always. <laughs> they discover eight bodies that are completely charred from what looks like a lightning strike and then a woman's body that has been shot with a staff weapon and who was probably carrying the Harcesis child. So it's like on a quest to find this baby. Uh, yeah, I just, well, no, I'll save that thought for the end. So they find a temple and. This guy. <laughs> this guy. He's a little extra. They find a monk inside the temple. Yeah, he has a lots of. confusing conflation of mythologies, but go off, I guess. Yeah, he has some very vague sayings. I feel like I could see the vein in Jack's temple about to pop. Yeah. When they're like, is there a child here? And he's like, there's a child in all of us. Yeah. I was like, bro, come on. I think the one that's like, if you know the candlelight is fire, then the meal was cooked a long time ago, ends up being one that's like kind of well known in the fandom. What is it? Like, say if it again. You know 
If you know the candlelight is fire, then the meal was cooked a long time ago. What does that mean? I guess it's up to your own interpretation. Okay, but I'm just going to be puzzling <laughs> over this. <laughs> I'm not sure that there's like any one given explanation for what it means. So he's just saying shit. <laughs> Got it. Well, what I found kind of silly was so the monk talks about how he he basically follows a woman called Oma Dasala. Mm hmm. And this is a made-up Stargate thing because Daniel is like, oh, Dasala, that sounds like an African tribal language and I think it means nature. No. <laughs> I did a lot of searching online and all of the references were to Stargate. The only thing I could find was that Dasala is a word in the Indian language Tegulu and it means of countries. It does not mean nature. Doesn't Oma mean grandmother in German? I think so. Yeah. So grandmother of countries, a.k.a. Mother Nature. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I mean, make it what you want, I guess. <laughs> they just, between this and the next episode, they're just like, we're going to take these non-European languages and make up yep. whatever the hell we want because yep. our audience won't know any better. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but it is funny how, like, the monk is using all of these vague prophetic you know phrases and then tries to tell daniel to stop obsessing over semantics and i'm like but you're all about the semantics like but he's not though if he's using all these vague phrases then he can hardly get technical with it i guess so. interpretation yeah. yeah and then so the monk is like showing him how he can light a candle and extinguish it with his mind because he's like, I don't believe that I can do it. I believe that Oma Dasala can do it. And so Daniel learns how to do it too. And so he like does a whole bunch of showy things. He like makes a really big fire and he like takes Jack's gun away from him and all this stuff. But it takes him until like the end of the episode to realize that he was not doing any of that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, your Jedi moment is over, Daniel. Yeah. And it was like, the monk told you from the beginning. He's like, don't believe that you can light the candle. Believe that she can light the candle. And that is literally what was happening. Yeah. <laughs> like Not in like being. a spiritual sense. Like it was literally her. Yes. Literally another being <laughs> who is made out of pure energy was lighting the candle and making the fire and moving the gun. <laughs> but it, yeah, it's kind of fun like watching him think that he has superpowers i guess and he's like so dramatic about it like when he makes the fire and he makes it get really big and then small again i'm like you're like a drama king over here he really is <laughs> and yeah he was obsessing over the writing on the walls too and i was thinking of you because it's like daniel and his walls again he loves walls literally <laughs> literally braytac had to come from another planet to be like let's go find this baby and Daniel's like, cool, are there walls there? And sure enough, there were walls there. <laughs> he even gets I to go can't. through a wall. I can't with this man and his lack of focus. <laughs> Jack had to remind him at least twice specifically to ask the monk about the boy. And Daniel's like, oh, right, yeah, <laughs> that's why I'm we're saying, here. Like, 
Daniel, get it together. <laughs> but yeah, so Daniel finally does get to go through a wall and Oma shows him the boy. And so he is alive and well and there. And so Daniel realizes that it's safer for the boy to stay with this being made of pure energy than it is to take him back to Earth. So I commend him for doing that. And also commend Jack for not like forcing him to take the baby or something, you know? Yeah. Because I could see that going down in terms of like the U.S. military being like, oh, that's an asset. We need to collect the asset, you know? So meanwhile, the Jaffa who were killed belong to Apophis. So we know he's going to come back. And sure enough, a mothership comes and lands on the planet. I, I'm i assuming that Apophis himself did not come because we didn't see him. Yeah, I, either that or he's hiding because he's like, every time I bump into these people, I almost die and I have to think of a very clever way to not die. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, not today. Yeah. Well, I almost wonder if, like, he knew he needed to send more firepower, essentially, but was also smart enough to realize that he shouldn't go himself in case they never came back. <laughs> you know? Because he had sent eight Jaffa who never came back, and this is, like, historically known as a place of the gold of afraid of. Yeah, that's so, true. Yeah. All about All- that self-preservation is apophis. Although, from what Daniel said, apparently Osiris went to Keb once to hide. I'm like, that is unusual. Maybe because Osiris was only there to hide and not to fight, that Omodasala just let him stay? Or maybe they're misinformed. I don't maybe know. He doesn't have all the stories. I mean, that's how they were able to find the planet, was because of this story about Osiris. So... I don't know. Yeah. And it also makes me wonder about this whole thing that the Gwols supposedly didn't know where this planet was. I'm like, well, obviously some of them did because Osiris did and Apophis did. So (laughs) it's not that much of a secret, I guess. It's like they don't put it in their cartouches, but they still, the Gwols themselves know what the gate address is, I guess. Yeah. They don't want to pass it on. Yeah, they don't want their Jaffa to know, I guess. Damn it, cool. <laughs> so there gets to be a standoff between Apophis's Jaffa, who still have Sokar's markings. I guess it's too much trouble to <laughs> redo the tattoos and stuff. I don't know. <laughs> they don't know a good removal place and, you know, the recovery time. Yeah, you know. And then having to get it re-tattooed in the same spot. And you have to recover again. It's just it's too long a process. Yeah, totally. Especially when you're too elitist to let your defraud use your sarcophagus. Yeah, like they have to heal in real time. Forget yeah. that. I have yeah. a commission too long. Yeah. <laughs> Those lower classes can't use our sarcophagus. So, yeah, they have this standoff. And SG-1 puts down their weapons. So... That way, Oma Dasala can clean it all up. She kills the Jaffa. <laughs> and we know she shoots down two gliders, but we don't actually see whether or not she destroys the mothership. No. So, yeah, it's unclear whether or not she destroyed it or let them fly away. I'm guessing the latter. 
because her destroying it seems like a big enough plot point that if she'd done it, we would have seen it, you know? Like, it just feels like a big enough deal. Yeah. I mean, she was only killing the people who were trying to fight. So maybe if the Jaffa who were in the mothership just packed up and left, then she'd be like, okay, bye. I mean, if you show up in a big honking mothership, I feel like at least part of your plan is to fight. Yeah. But if you turn around and leave without trying to fight more, I guess, I don't know. I did notice how the doorway to this temple was like a circle again that and it kind of looked like a stargate. And I'm like, you know, I feel like we see a lot of these circle gates or circle doorways. And you've mentioned that before, how like maybe it's supposed to remind us of the stargate. Yeah. I don't know. My theory stands. I don't know. Yeah. I have nothing. <laughs> I, I have no insight into this. It's just a theory. <laughs> And so in the end, Oma Dasala decides to take the boy to a different planet because it's obviously not safe here with Apophis trying to get the boy. And she uses the Stargate to leave, which surprised me. But I was like, well, I guess because she has like a flesh and blood child that she can't just spirit away on her own with it. Maybe that's why she needs the Stargate. Because I would think that on her own, she wouldn't need a Stargate to travel. Probably not. Can I say, Mm -hmm. this flesh and blood child is the whitest child (laughs) for two supposed Egyptian people. I'm aware the actors are not necessarily Egyptian, but they're supposed to be. Or like, you know. Yeah. Not white people. And this is the whitest child. Yeah. With the bluest eyes. And then they like go from a shot of this little white kid with blue eyes to Daniel's face and Michael Shanks's blue eyes. And I'm like, are we, is this supposed to like mean something? No. Like it's actually Daniel's? Like, I don't know. And then I realized, no, like they don't address this at all. So no, but yeah. I think they that's just, like had a baby lying around. Yeah. That was the baby they could get for this that shot. Was the baby for the day. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I'm mean, 23 years old now. That's alarming. Right? Yeah. Impossible when I myself am only 18. <laughs> but I mean, it's possible that is it like does it sometimes happen that like when babies are born their skin is a bit paler than it normally would be and it gets darker? A little, but like blue eyes? That's not the Punnett squares. Punnett squares? Is that what they were called? I don't know. What, what is that? The things you did in like high school science where it's like, you know, like recessive and dominant genes. Oh. What are those things called? Punnett squares, yeah. I'm not sure if we did that. At least not that specific thing. That was the one part of grade 11 biology that I enjoyed. <laughs> Why? Because I was good at it. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> sure. The rest of it I wasn't very good at, but <laughs> but the, the genealogy genetic unit I was good at. Okay. Well, if it makes you feel any better, we do see this boy again. And when we see him again, he is not white. That does make me feel better. And that does also <laughs> answer my last question for this episode, which was, are we done with this? Nope. Okay, because I'm like, if this is the last we see of this baby, we're like done with this plot now. This was a very anticlimactic way to end it. <laughs> but I guess it's no, also kind of like Apophis dying in a hospital mm-hmm. bed like oh I guess I'm done now and I'm like, <laughs> obviously not so I don't remember if we I know we see him once more I don't remember if we see him more than once 
Well, at least we see it once more. Yeah. Oh, the the actor information shows that he's on three more episodes. So we'll see him a few times. One thing that I really liked in this episode was that I'm assuming that it was all CGI, but the night sky was particularly beautiful on this planet. Mm-hmm. Not quite like Aurora-esque, but almost. It has to be CG. It doesn't look like that here. Yeah. I don't live in Vancouver, but <laughs> if Vancouver looked like that, I would have heard about it. Right. <laughs> well, I enjoyed the CG. Yes, it's very pretty. I did notice, too, that we find out, I think we find out in a later episode that Jack likes to watch The Simpsons. <laughs> and he sometimes says, do, like... Bart Simpson does. And Homer Simpson. That. Oh, was it Homer? Whatever. Yeah. I don't know the characters. <laughs> I do. The, the dad. Homer. That's Homer. Okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Jack says that in this episode. Relatable king. <laughs> oh, I did note that there was a kind of like a jump scare with a crow. And I was hoping it didn't freak you out too much because you don't like birds. Oh, no, because Sam pulled her gun out. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. Shoot it. Exactly. So true, bestie. Shoot the bird. <laughs> Poor bird. I mean, like, if, if that had really happened with a real bird, I would have definitely screamed. But um, it's a fake bird, and Sam wanted to shoot it, so I approve all around. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. Oh, one thing that I noticed, and I think it was the opening scene of this episode, was that, you know, there's a bunch of guards in the gate room all the time. And it looked like they all had, like, P90s or whatever, except for one guy who had a handgun. And I was like, who did he piss off to not get issued a big gun? Like, <laughs> he dropped it somewhere. What is he doing with the handgun? <laughs> the props didn't have enough. I guess. They just, they just didn't have enough for that scene. There was also a Martha Stewart reference. That I missed. Yeah. And then I noticed that they let Jack say son of a bitch. And I was kind of surprised. I'm like, well, I guess this was still one of the seasons that was on cable. So Is that not okay probably... on like regular TV? I don't know. I feel like that's normally not one that people say. I've lost all perspective. Yeah. I don't... It's hard to tell now that, I mean, it's eased a lot over the years. So it's kind of hard to tell. And the actress that played Oma Dasala will come back in a random episode in season four as a concubine. Oh. So. <laughs> Completely unrelated character. I mean, she well, doesn't I guess speaking That makes sense because her face is kind of obscured and heavily yeah. made up. And she doesn't speak. Yeah. Yeah. They already had her social insurance number. They just brought her back. <laughs> Anything else to say about this episode? No. Okay, on to Crystal Skull, which may end up on my top three for the season. I'm not sure. Um, I've always really liked this episode. I I don't know, I guess like as a kid, I was fascinated by the giant aliens, just like <laughs> Grandfather Nick is. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it just feels like a really fun like adventure of the week combined with learning about Daniel's past a little bit. Yeah. So, like, we learned that, you know, Daniel's parents died when he was eight, 
and his grandfather did not adopt him. So I made a reference before to how Daniel has a lot of childhood trauma. And this is what I meant. Like, not only did his parents die, but his grandfather did not take him in. Yeah. And I'm not sure we ever find out exactly who raised him. Or if he like... probably. Or if he like ended up in the foster system or something, but it's always nuns. But it was a nun. <laughs> but also, I was thinking that, I mean, Nick says that his last experience with the crystal skull, which I guess I need to get into, was twenty nine years ago. And I'm like, well, if Daniel is about thirty five ish, then that would have happened before his parents died. So that would mean that his grandfather was like already kicked out of the academic community before his parents died. Yeah. You know, so. He was just trying to regain some lost honor or something. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe he wasn't mentally stable enough to care for a child anymore. I don't know. Or that. Didn't he voluntarily, voluntarily check himself in though? Yeah. But I mean, he did say that he has hallucinations all the time. Right. So being so, I mean, I don't think his individual experience of using the crystal skull made him crazy, but maybe his obsession over multiple decades, you know, caused him to start seeing things that weren't there because he wanted them to be there, you know? Yeah. Like where is on you? Yeah. So I guess we need to back up a little bit. Yeah. So there's a crystal crystal skull. skull. Yeah. Like in Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull, the best yeah. Indiana Jones movie. Don't at me. <laughs> I say that without a trace of irony. It is my favorite one. So they send the mouth through and they see this giant pyramid that's over a thousand meters tall, which doesn't really mean a lot to me. It sounds big. Thousand uh. meters. Well, you've seen my brother. <laughs> He's two meters. So it's 500 of him stacked one on top of the other. <laughs> if you can conceive okay. of that that's a lot of that's a lot that's big. that's a lot yeah I get like that in, 500 armands wow i feel like that really speaks to me as an american because we will use anything except the metric system you okay. know jetta tower in saudi arabia is a thousand meters okay that doesn't mean anything to me i need it like next to a person <laughs> you need it next to a person oh that's too big. That's simply too big. Okay, so for those listening, so I don't think it's open yet. Maybe it is. It looks like it's under construction. So for for those who have some sense of this, there's like a comparison between the Jeddah Tower and the Empire State Building, and it's like at least twice as tall. Yeah. Oh, so, um, Burj Khalifa, which is currently standing, it's the really tall tower in Dubai that Tom Cruise like jumps out of in one of the Mission Impossible movies. Um, oh, Borch Khalifa shorter. is 828 meters. So it's about 200 yeah. meters taller than Borch Khalifa. Oh, that's insane. That's too big. I feel like I can't really conceive of that height. <laughs> no, it's like, so I'm looking at this other uh, graph. One World Trade Center is 546 meters. So it's almost twice as high as One World Trade Center. That's simply too large. <laughs> Have they considered not building that? Yeah, I think it's a construction is paused. There are labor problems with a contractor following the 2017 to 2019 Saudi Arabian purge, whatever that is. I don't know. 
But yeah, it's not done. Well, in any case, a pyramid on this planet is, is big. One Jetta Tower sized. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, the Jetta Tower is like tall and thin. Whereas this yeah. pyramid is really wide. Yeah. And Daniel said that every pyramid on Earth could fit inside ten times over. Yeah, sounds about right. Yeah. And so when they're looking at the images and stuff from the map before they go there, you know, Daniel is like, that looks like a Mayan temple. I have to see this. And then Sam is like, there are leptons. I have to see this. It's just great. And then Sam explains what neutrinos are to Jack about how there's billions of them passing through you all the time, no matter how dense the object is. And later when they're like talking about going on a mission, Jack delivers the line of Nintendo's pass through everything. I'm like, that's one of my favorite lines. (laughs) He's so dense. (laughs) He's so cute. I love him. I mean, he knows he's not saying the right word. Yeah, I do that all the time. (laughs) Again, relatable. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so they go to this planet inside this pyramid, which is mostly empty on the inside. There are, like, I don't know what the difference between stalactite and stalagmites are. Whichever ones come from the bottom. Oh, stalactite comes from the top. Stalagmite comes from the bottom. Okay, so they're stalagmites. I don't remember where it was, but... I read once a way to remember it is because the ones that come down have to hold on tight so they don't fall. So it's a stalactite. I was thinking stalactite top, you know, like they're both. Yeah. And I just, I, I was the, obviously young when this was told to me, but it's like they have to hold on tight. Oh, so stalactite. Okay. 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 That works for me. Yeah. So yeah, they, there's this giant, it's a basically a giant cavern on the inside with stalagmites and a walking path going out to a platform. And it makes me so anxious watching them because they go and stand on like the edge of the cavern and like Jack has his like toe going over the edge and you cannot see the bottom. It is so far down. And they all just walk so calmly along this path. And I'm like, oh my God. I would be like crawling up my belly. Right? If I had to go at all. Yeah, I'd be, like, on my hands and knees for sure. Like, (laughs) Like absolutely not walking. And I'd be like, can I, like, get a carabiner and hook into something on the way? (laughs) Because... And also, like, I know that the bulk of Jack's weight is on the ledge. And it's just his toe that's over the edge. But vertigo exists. Yep. Yeah, that was making me really anxious. (laughs) I was like, ah. No, no, thank you. I'm not really scared of heights, but... I am. This is different. This is not normal heights. This is like a height in which you cannot see the bottom of the thing you were on top of. So that's another kind of height. Which makes me think that this pyramid is a thousand meters high on the outside above ground. When they go in, I'm assuming they're going in at ground level and it's also really deep. 2,000 meters. Probably. Yeah. It's crazy. We're sitting going a thousand meters, a thousand meters. That's a kilometer. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> Which is much easier to visualize. That's true. That's still very, very long. Yeah. For a building. It's too, too big. <laughs> yeah. So they go onto the platform in the middle and 
there is a crystal skull on a pedestal and Daniel looks into its eyes and it starts giving off muon radiation, which is a real thing that I don't understand. So I'm not going to worry about it. It's like in the upper, upper atmosphere. Cool. <laughs> I like that this radiation, they're like, it's at 300%. It's at 400%. I'm like, why aren't you dead? <laughs> I don't know. 400%? I mean, I guess it depends on what kind of radiation because some radiations are more harmful than others. But 400 is a lot of 100. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Because, <laughs> I mean, maybe it's like some radiation, you know, will kill you with enough exposure and some radiation will make you infertile, but they're not, they don't always overlap necessarily. I don't know. I don't know like, anything about radiation. I just radiation. feel like 400% radiation should kill you yeah i don't know i'm not a scientist i don't pretend to understand <laughs> i mean fair but yeah so they think it's bad so teal fires his that gun at the crystal skull and daniel seems to disappear and sam passes out from the muon radiation and jack immediately catches her and throws her over his shoulders and runs back with her to the gate, which means he ran along this really thin walkway. And like, he oh my loves God. her. <laughs> like, that is some dedication. And just demonstrating how strong he is, too. Because normally Teal does the heavy lifting if somebody has to be carried. But love. Yep. Indeed. Love fueled him. He has to take care of his girl. Hmm. Mm-hmm. But I did notice a couple of goofs in this scene because, for one thing, Sam is holding, like, I don't know, a Geiger counter or something, and she passes out, and he, like, throws her over his shoulder, and she's still holding it. <laughs> like, wouldn't you... <laughs> wouldn't you drop it if you passed out? And then also, when Teal'c runs to follow Jack... And, you know, Daniel, Daniel's body is on the ground. And we know that we already saw that Teal passed through it as if Daniel's like a ghost or something. But yeah. when Teal runs out of the pyramid to follow Jack, Christopher Judge deliberately steps over Daniel's feet. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> you're not supposed to be able to see him. But he also doesn't want to step on him. Yeah. But I mean, like, they could have filmed that in two different takes and made it because they made him look like he was passing through one time. They probably, so they should have done that again. They probably thought nobody would notice. Yeah, well, I noticed. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's like it's like um it's like in Singing in the Rain during the Good Morning Dance sequence when Debbie Reynolds keeps looking down to find her mark on the floor. And once you know that's what she's doing, you can't unsee it. Oh, yeah. Oops. I mean, it's fine, but. <laughs> there was one other goof that I saw later in the episode. I don't remember what it is offhand. Maybe I have to does. Oh, I remember what it is. What was it? It's so in a much later scene when Tilk, when they all go back and the rest of the team gets phased out too, except for Tilk, they show a shot of a of the platform being completely empty except that Tilk is still standing on the platform himself and he's not in the shot 
He just stepped out of frame for a second. <laughs> or something. Yeah, it's like, no, he's he should be in that shot by himself. <laughs> anyway, back to the plot. <laughs> so SG-1 goes back home and Daniel manages to follow them through the Stargate, even though he's like out of phase, basically. It kind of reminds me of the Ritu and like being 180 degrees out of phase or something. Yeah. Which <laughs> is still such a cool concept. That almost makes me wonder if they would have been able to see him if they had used a Ritu gun on him. Maybe. I don't remember what those, those were called, but I don't know if that worked. Work. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah, and so Teal'c bounces back really quickly thanks to Junior. And the other two do not. They require a lot more recovery. And, like, Jack tries to get up and collapses on the floor. And I love that, like, Teal throws him back onto the bed face first. <laughs> he's like, well, he's technically on the bed. <laughs> but I was thinking, too, like, basically, you know, SG-1 is trying to figure out what happened. And, like, Daniel is out of phase or whatever. And I was thinking it must have been really fun to film. Because it's like Daniel has his like commentary going on in the background and they have to ignore him. Just pretend he doesn't exist. Yeah. And Daniel is like sitting on top of the servers in the corner of the room. <laughs> Michael Shanks just having the time of his life. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's like they, he can make whatever kind of like snarky comments he wants. <laughs> Nobody's going to hear him. Yeah. So Teal goes back and collects the crystal skull. And they bring in Dr. Rothman, who tries to study it and is like, you know, what am I supposed to do with this? <laughs> and I thought it was so funny. Like, Sergeant Siler is in the room when Dr. Rothman is studying it, and he tells Rothman that he thinks he's going to get fired. I'm like, okay, Siler. <laughs> Brutal. I liked um, Dr. Rothman trying to do his thing, and Daniel's like trying to feed him information. Uh huh. That he's obviously not hearing. And he obviously also doesn't care. <laughs> yeah. And they were kind of mad at, at Rothman. And Rothman was like, well, you know, I want to find him too. He's my friend too. And we, I think we find out in a later episode that they went to school together. And, um, or maybe we found out already. And because Rothman, I think, was a research assistant for Daniel or something. And oh. I'm like, well, y'all went to school together, but... It doesn't seem like you've been hanging out since then. Daniel so. doesn't have friends. He has walls. <laughs> he is very much preoccupied with SG-1. So SG-1 goes to find Daniel's grandfather, Nicholas Ballard, who is in a mental institution. And I've never been in a mental institution before, so I cannot speak from experience. But I feel like the portrayal in this episode was not great. The portrayal in this episode was pretty on par with other media depictions. Yeah. I will say when they go in like to see him, the fact that he has the blanket ability to even have guests, the fact that um, the doctor and nurse leave him alone with his guests, mm -hmm. that they don't talk over him or try to pre-warn the guests about his like stuff like that I'm like well that's a lot better than most shows yeah i did think it was really really strange that the doctor allowed them to be alone with him having never visited before and not 
being relatives. I mean, but... didn't it say that like any friend of Daniel's has like a blanket permission to be there? I guess. I feel like one of them said that. But... So if they verified that much, then, then yeah. it's okay. Yeah. But I guess I was just, I don't know. All the other patients were kind of displaying what I thought were like very stereotypical behaviors of what people think insane patients look like yeah you know like really big movements and yelling and doing Just weird kind of things standing there like staring. staring yeah i'm like i don't, I don't know <laughs> i guess this is very like 2000 yes very much yeah and then i thought it was really funny that Nick didn't believe Daniel's claim about the pyramids being built by aliens when before Daniel came out with that theory, Nick had his own theory about aliens. And it's like, what? <laughs> That's very hypocritical. Yeah, but his theories are okay. Well, so Daniel and Nick both thought that the other one's theories were crazy. And it's like, well, you were both right. Like, What if you're both crazy? <laughs> Well, they ended up being both right. They should have just believed each other years ago. It would have gotten along better. But they're stubborn, so. Well, we see where Daniel gets it from. Yes, very true. Even though the man couldn't be bothered to raise him. Apparently, stubbornness is genetic. Yeah. Well, we kind of saw that in the Gamekeeper episode with his parents. I mean, he tried to get them to come out from the, the big platform thing that they were moving and they refused to so that's true so he's just stubborn then yeah yeah and so with these aliens being having like a mayan temple that makes me think that i guess like how the egyptians apparently built their pyramids for the gold the mayans apparently built their pyramids for these mist aliens i guess it's like <laughs> It's like the theory that came out a little while ago, how like all the pyramids must have been built by aliens, like yeah. for real. Yeah, the show's just leading into that before, uh, before yeah. that became a thing. Yeah, <laughs> with the Slakon and Staria Infinity, are those Mayan pyramids or Aztec pyramids? Oh, I don't know. I don't know the difference. Apparently, it's both. All right, then. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Because the description is, the Tlacon warriors are a lizard-like alien race who visited Central America on Earth and contacted the native Aztecs and Mayans, and who, like the Gwo'uld, enslaved the population there to worship them as gods. What? I mean, don't repeat it, but what? (laughs) Just make it make sense. So, I mean, that's actually directly contradicting this in SG-1. Because this is saying the Tlacon were responsible for the Mayan pyramids and the and SG-1 is saying that these mist aliens were. Maybe it's one of those we didn't have all the information deals, like for the characters. I don't know. I'm trying to make it make sense. No, because, I mean, this SG-1 episode was filmed several years before Infinity started, so I don't know. But I thought, I mean, the Aztecs and the Mayans are two like different civilizations. Different yes. places, different time periods. So... That also doesn't make sense for it to be both. <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> oh, Stargate Infinity. Hey. Anyway, so 
Daniel figures out that Nick can actually see him, even though he's out of phase, because Nick has gone through this experience before. Which, okay, does beg the question. If Nick can see things that are out of phase, what else can he see? That's what I was wondering. He's talked about how he has hallucinations all the time. I'm like, maybe they're not hallucinations. Maybe he's actually seeing stuff. Yeah, it's like, I feel like once I read cats can see colors, the rest of us can't. Like, what if it's that? Yeah, like I'm, I'm even thinking about, I wonder if there are maybe even Mayans who accidentally got stuck in this weird out-of-face thing a couple thousand years ago or whatever, <laughs> you know, and are stuck on Earth. And have just been out chilling out-of-face for a couple thousand years? Yeah. That sounds like a special kind of hell. And maybe, like, Nick could see them and they, like, followed him home or something because they didn't have anybody else to talk to. That sounds awful. (laughs) Well, I'm just thinking, like, maybe he really does see other people who are, like, out of phase or something. Oh, God. It's existential. I know. I don't like that. (laughs) Sorry. I'm not saying you're, like, wrong. I just don't like to contemplate (laughs) that. That's so scary. I was wondering, too, because... You know, Nick ends up staying with these aliens at the end, and he's so he's gonna be permanently out of phase, I guess. I'm like, does he need to eat? Is he gonna age normally? Because he's already like 80. Like, is he gonna age normally, or is he like frozen in time? Well, if he ages normally, then there's no Mayans because they would have died. But it makes me wonder, like, other things just from other, you know, other weird magic. Uh-huh alien tech that are just you know at 180 degrees out of phase yeah i don't know i think it brings up a lot of questions it doesn't answer anything no because why would it because it never does <laughs> yeah i think i saw something that one of the directors for sg1 said that they couldn't think of a good reason to bring back these missed aliens so they just didn't that's boring <laughs> So they all go back to the planet and they use the crystal skull and they all go out of phase except for Teal'c and Teal'c leaves and they get to talk to a mist alien. Mm-hmm. They get to talk to Quetzalcoatl. Who looked an awful lot like Mother Nature. <laughs> That's true. And he was voiced by Christopher Judge. Oh. Yeah. That's why Teal'c wasn't there. Teal'c is a mist <laughs> alien. <gasps> right <laughs> and so the mist alien Quetzalcoatl says this phrase and I looked this up and I don't think it's a real Mayan phrase because I the only references to it were Stargate it was one of those things where Google had literally like 15 references which is insane for Google <laughs> you know, it normally has hundreds, and it was all Stargate. <laughs> so Stargate just making stuff up. Yeah, they made up the Omadasala thing. I'm and... glad we watched these two episodes together. They have a lot in common. Yeah, they do. They wrote with Daniel centric, making up foreign language stuff. You know, no writing on the walls this time. Yeah, unfortunately for Daniel. Ah well. But he got to see the missed aliens that his grandfather spoke of for the past 29 years. So, you know. You know. And Nick does get to stay behind and exchange knowledge and culture with these aliens. 
But uh, yeah, we never revisit this planet again. So I have no idea if he died or is immortal or what. And we'll never know. Yeah. Maybe I should look and see if anybody has read some fan fiction about it. Maybe. But yeah, I really like this episode. I thought it was fun. You know, it had like a lot of like humorous lines, good backstory for Daniel, good adventure of the week. Yeah, it was a fun episode. It was definitely a fun episode. Yeah. I like that we kind of especially after the last episode which was kind of rehashing the like overarching plot. I like that yeah. we we had a, a fun mystery of the week to yeah. offset it. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like a lot of the times I feel like the random adventure of the week episodes is where Stargate thrives. I agree. I think the the plotty ones, like the overarching plot ones, mm-hmm. have a lot going on mm-hmm. to usually the show's detriment, but the yeah. the mystery of the week. Yeah, it's kind of like the longer plot ones are kind of necessary to like hold the show together in a way and like tie it from season to season. And show yeah. growth. They're not bad episodes. Like one of my favorite episodes from the season was one of those episodes. Yeah. But but I think the adventure of the week is usually more fun. Yeah. Anything else you want to say about this episode? Nope. I guess I was trying to think of anything problematic. Possibly the representation of a mental institution may I would be agree. problematic. I would agree. Otherwise, I think they were both okay. Yeah. I you think were- so. Yeah. yeah, I think the mental institution is the only thing that gives me pause. Yeah. Okay, so the next couple of weeks, we kind of have a special program. Next week, we're going to be doing our very first overview and analysis. Now that we have like three seasons under our belt, I feel like we have enough content to be able to talk about arcs for characters and villains and stories. And so... We're going to have an episode to get dedicated to just that, talking about seasons one through three. And that will include your top three episodes for season three. So be thinking about that, Arzu. Yes. And so you won't have anything to watch for the next week, but I will send you my show notes so you can put it in your comments. Cool. And in two weeks, we're going to be watching episodes 17 through 20 of Stargate Infinity. Yay! <laughs> Just the flat is delivering. It's like both exciting and like dreading it because it's entertaining but also really cringe. <laughs> it's cozy. It's cozy. Yeah. It's just not very good. Yeah. They tried, I guess. They really did. They really tried something there. <laughs> yeah. So we'll be back with SG-1 in three weeks to discuss the season three finale and season four opener arc, Nemesis and Small Victories. So I'm happy to be watching these together and not splitting the arc in two this time. I appreciate that. Thank you. (laughs) So I am going to give you a quote for our next SG-1 episode, Arzu. Are you ready? Yes. You're actually saying that you need someone dumber than you are? As much as I want to think somebody's talking to Daniel, what I actually think is Jack is talking to that military guy that he doesn't like, whose name I'm blanking on. Mayborn? Mayborn. Jack's talking to Mayborn. Okay. 
I'm not sure about the context. He wants to do some sort of mission initiative thing that they need SG-1 for and they need somebody stupid for some reason. <laughs> or they basically need somebody to like unquestioningly do a thing and Jack's like, so you need somebody dumber than you are? <laughs> That's what I think. Okay. Fair enough. We'll find out in three weeks if you're right. That's it for today. If you enjoy listening to our podcast, I'd love for you to give us five star wherever you can. If you want to talk to us about Stargate, you can find us on our podcast Twitter and Tumblr page at Wormhole Waffles. You can find me on Twitter at Chelsea Fairless. Arzu, where can everyone find you? You can find me on Twitter at Arzu Amin. You can find me at Arzu D2 everywhere else. As a network, we are on Twitter at geeky underscore waffle. We are the geeky waffle on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Tumblr. We are the geeky waffle on YouTube. We're at thegeekywaffle.com and we're on Patreon, patreon.com slash thegeekywaffle. Thanks for joining us today, and we'll see you on the other side of the event horizon. <laughs>